You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Broadway Gives Back podcast. I'm your host, Jan Svensson. This podcast spotlights Broadway actors, shows, and organizations in their pursuit of social impact and philanthropy. Join us as some of the brightest lights on Broadway share their stories about their favorite charities and how they got involved, and the people and the causes who benefited from these philanthropic efforts. Broadway fans know him as the star of the hit Broadway musical Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. To music fans around the world, Josh Groban is the four-time Grammy-nominated singer who sold over 22.5 million records in the U.S. alone. To me, Josh is the leader of the Find Your Light Foundation, which he created. He uses his voice and talent to support a number of causes, especially arts education. I'm proud to call him my friend, and I'm over the moon to have him here today. Josh, welcome to the Broadway Gives Back podcast. Jen, it's great to talk to you. It's great to be on the podcast. Congratulations on the podcast. First of all, you have great, you have such a great speaking voice. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you are in this, in this landscape because uh, you're awesome. Oh my God. I'm blushing because you're telling me I have a good speaking voice. Thank you. I never thought that I did. You know how you always hate your own voice. Take, um, take, it, yeah, take you it from somebody with a great singing voice with a terrible speaking voice. You have, a really, <laughs> you, have a, you have an enviable speaking voice. I don't know how your singing voice is, but I'm sure it's also great. Uh, I was asked to lip sync in Girls Glee back in sixth <laughs> grade, so not good. There um, you go. Oh, yeah, that's okay. Anyway, well, thank you. Um, so you recently turned 40, you little mm. baby. Um, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Um, what did you do to celebrate? Well, you know, I was fully expecting it to be a real depressive um, kind of existential crisis kind of a day. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was it was lovely. Uh, my girlfriend took me to um, a kind of an animal sanctuary uh, here in L.A., just kind of about 45 minutes outside of town. And I got to pet a giraffe and hold a monkey and uh, and and play with a pony. And uh, it was uh, a place that both kind of t- takes in rescue animals and then also kind of trains animals for commercials and TV and stuff. And, um, and so I, I met the Geico raccoon, uh, there's all kinds of things. And, um, and so, you know, I, I had a great time and then just, you know, FaceTimed with my brother in New York because he and I share the same birthday, four years apart. I got a baby brother on my fourth birthday. So one of our, one of our only birthdays we've been apart. So that was bittersweet, but um, he was there and it was just, you know, I, I'm very grateful that I was able to spend time with my parents who both are, uh, now have had their second vaccination. And so they felt safer for us to come over and have cake with them, which was, you know, 
such a crazy thing. You know, it feels it feels very strange to be around them because for a year we've been conditioned to be apart. And mm-hmm. so um, it's we're going to have to condition ourselves to feel okay being with each other again, too. Right. Those hugs. I can't wait but, for that, but uh, I'm also a little nervous for that, right? I- exactly. <laughs> but um, but all in all, it was a really... And then a lot of people sent in really lovely messages. And it just it was a very simple but very heartfelt birthday. I was very grateful. Oh, well, happy birthday. Thank you so much. Happy and healthy birthday. Um, I guess that's what we need to say in 2021. Absolutely. 2021 is obviously a year for the history books on so many levels, um, but it also, it marks the uh, 20th anniversary of your first album. Um, gosh, where did time go? I know. Um, and this past November, you released your ninth studio album, Harmony. And I just wondered, um, what did this album mean to you? And what did this collection of songs say to you? Like, what, what did you want to communicate with that? This was kind of a, a bucket list song album. Um, I was about a fourth of the way through with the recording and um, a little bit more than that in the choosing process of the songs when we all went into lockdown. And so I didn't even know if this album would finish. I didn't know if we would ever get this album to come to fruition. Certainly not. I didn't know we'd be able to do it last year. Uh, but these are songs that, you know, as a vocalist, you collect bucket list songs, songs you've wanted to sing a long time and just waiting for the right life experience, right arrangement. That's a huge one, um, is getting the right arrangement. The unsung heroes of my world are the orchestrators and the arrangers who give you a, a template where you say, okay, I finally feel like I can do something with this as a singer, because this is an album of primarily classic songs. And there's always the nerves of do I belong in this song? Is, does anybody care about the 500th version of this? And so part of the thing that gets you through that maze is, is getting a great arrangement, realizing that you can do something that both honors the original and gives you a fresh approach. So, um, and it was a lot of fan requests too. You know, you, you tour as long as I've toured and people write in saying, gosh, I, I would love to hear you sing this. Or they even yell out, you know, whatever the equivalent of Freebird is in the audience. And, <laughs> and, you know, you collect a kind of a list of those songs and, for a long time, you kind of say, oh, yeah, 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 okay. And it got to the point where I said, you know, I have a lot of those songs in my in my file mental file cabinet. And so after after touring for a year and a half on an album called Bridges, that was a very personal, very um, original music kind of an album, I said, okay, well, I'm going to take off that hat for a minute, and I'm going to put on the interpretation hat, and I'm just going to, I really want to dive into these songs, these melodies that that feel timeless. Then, of course, you go into quarantine, the world changes. And the incredible thing was that these songs that I thought I was just singing because they feel relevant normally took on an entire new level of relevance and of meaning right now. Uh, Songs we weren't going to do suddenly became even more relevant. Songs we were going to do felt like, you know what, maybe I'll wait for another time to do this. So it was a a great and challenging experience to to finish Harmony, especially when you consider that all the musicians were around the world virtual. Uh, So um, it was it was crazy. You even did a duet with our mutual friend Sarah Bareilles. That's right. Um, yes, and she actually recorded this podcast uh, last week. Oh, good with us. Yeah, it was great. Um, and you two were my favorite Tony hosts of all time. Um, <laughs> we had so much fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, but you know, this year's been hard on artists in general, and um, but you seem to have embraced this live streaming thing. And I hear you even live stream from your shower. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of how it started. Yeah, fully clothed. I was um, <laughs> I was doing a Billboard Live uh, doing a Billboard Live concert from um, right where I'm sitting right now. I have you know kind of a little setup here, and was just doing it in the corner of my bedroom here. And 
you know, some people were saying, oh, I want to hear you sing Anthem or I want to hear you sing You Raise Me Up or whatever it was. And I'm thinking, okay, this isn't an anthemic reverby corner. You know, I want, <laughs> I want real, I want the real reverb. So as a joke, I brought my iPad into the shower and just said, all right, I'm going to sing this. It's going to be in the shower, sing along. And my manager, Dermid, said, Yo, God, you know, that sounded really, really good. So I started doing something on Instagram called Shower Songs, where each mm-hmm. time I was going to sing a song in the shower and, you know, dedicate each time to a charity. And we would raise money and do shower songs for charity. And, you know, my, I, I, I'm always in my head. I'm always disorganized. I'm always writing and finding songs and stuff. But my manager is such the, the planner for me. And he's the one who kind of said, look, I think there's a way we can do, a, do this safely put my band and crew to work, which was a huge um, initiative for us to make sure that we keep the the circle of, of musical family behind the scenes um, employed and working. Um, and and also give some give the fans something that was a, a, a more than a more than a level up from the corner of the bedroom in the shower, which was a lot of fun and was great. It was very um, kind of homespun, which was something that was unusual for me to do. Um, but 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 we tried it. We did one in June of last year and we thought whoever, you know, whoever signs in, great. hundred people watch, you know, so be it. We had 65 countries tuning in and it really showed us, even though there wasn't any applause, it showed us the delayed reaction of how meaningful it was afterwards. I'd get the tweets, I'd get the Instagrams, I'd get the, the emails from people saying we gathered around. It gave us a sense, some semblance of normalcy. It gave us some feeling of connection to your music, to, to, uh, you know, live entertainment. And I kind of turned to my manager and said, you know, as I often do with him, you were right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we did another, and then we did another, and then we said, let's do a Christmas one. Let's do a Valentine's one. And each one we've gotten more and more people. And now we've got 90 countries that are tuning in and it's not the same as a show. You know, we will of course embrace with open arms when we get a chance to be in front of all those people screaming our heads off, high-fiving, nothing will replace that and nothing ever will. But to be able to reach countries I've never been, to be able to reach people uh, at a time when both I and they really need this release, really need to express ourselves, it's um, so good for our emotional well-being and mental health. Uh, it's been it's been a lifesaver. It's been really, really a, a fun thing to do. And we've also continued to raise a lot of money for charities. So um, I've been enjoying it which is a perfect segue. Thank you. Um, <laughs> purpose of this podcast. <laughs> um, I read an interview that early in your career, Celine Dion gave you some advice and she told you, I think it's be kind to people you never know. Um, and Josh, you are one of the kindest people I know, and you are one of the most giving people that I've ever met. Thank and you. I just wondered, you know, where does that like, is that just who you are? Is that something that was modeled for you from your family or like, how, why are you such a good giving person? <laughs> well, uh, very kind of you to say, it takes one to know one, I might add. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, and you know, I, I was very lucky when I was thrown into the insanity, uh, with which there is no playbook or rule book or, 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 you know, music business for dummies. Um, other than the classic Donald Passman legal book, music business, everything you need to know about the music business, there really isn't a, there isn't a handbook for how to deal with the emotional impact of uh, the pressure, the criticism, the praise. Um, and at a young age, when you're already at a really volatile and, and sponge-like uh, time in your life and feeling very confused about just, you know, this is why 
you know, it was hard not to have the experience of college of failing and getting back up. I started when I met Celine in that fateful moment, I was 16 mm-hmm. years old. And so I, I give a lot of credit uh, to the, to my parents because, and, and I know I was very, very lucky in that regard that I had really down to earth parents. I grew up in Los Angeles, but was not a showbiz kid. Um, they knew that I had the bug for the arts and theater, but not in a, I want to be famous kind of way, or we have to make our son a star. It was just, well, okay, we'll do the training, you know, keep practicing and, and, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get what, what, what you get and we'll be there to support you. And so anytime things got too heady or I was up in the clouds too much or my ego got the best of me or whatever, I, I was very lucky that I had such a grounded family to kind of bring me back down to earth. And and not only that, when I was feeling way down in the dumps, which this business gives you, I think, mostly, uh, I think a lot of times people assume that even with all the great success that you're just floating on a cloud the whole time. But many of us that are creative, the dirty little secret is that we're also super sensitive and so even though there might be 10,000 people screaming their heads off, we are all zoning in on the one guy with, you know, crossing his arms, rolling his eyes that didn't want to be there. So having a great family system to get me through that, um, those demons too, um, really helped. And when I see artists that are young, that are, um, you know, finding themselves losing their way, I'm, you know, reading Us Weekly at the airport and I'm seeing, you know, just behavior that I think to myself, God, that's so unfortunate. That's such a cry for help. Um, you go back and you watch the Britney documentary and you go back and you see how, you know, the media, the media has treated people who were going through full on mental breakdowns. And you think about situations where maybe the family environment wasn't what it should have been, or, or the friends weren't the best friends they could have had, or, or, or the, the, the business didn't give them the tools to handle what I think the human condition is not really meant to handle. We're not, we're not really in our DNA meant to have that much of a microscope on us. Uh, and so a lot of, a lot of bad habits can form. Um, some bad habits formed for me behind the scenes. There were things that I had to, you know, talk through a therapist for and get myself, you know, um, in the right headspace and, and learn self-love and learn, you know, how to deal with criticism and learn how to be, um, a more relaxed performer and, and, and a more, um, open, you know, person, I, there, there are all kinds of things you battle privately too, that, that you're lucky you've got people around you to help, to help you. But to the point of being nice, I think luckily also, I was just in a, in a genre that, um, was a lot of hard work without a lot of hype. Um, if I had been a top 40 pop star, um, you know, I might've been a jerk (laughs) who's to know because everybody around you wants to throw a party for you every five seconds. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in an, I was in a particular part of the music business where people were like, who's that guy? But I was still selling 20, 20 million records. So it was this weird thing of my salvation was keeping my head down and just doing the work. And I look back on that and I was very lucky. Well, you've also been very inspired to always give of yourself too. And, you know, I know that I always feel good about myself when I give to others, right? So maybe that also helped balance some of your, you know, your demons is that, you know, that inclination that you've always had to also give. 100%. I think altruism and philanthropy are um, a demon slayer for all of our internal demons, giving Mm -hmm. back, finding causes that are bigger than yourself, going outside of yourself to be of service, um, I think is one of the, one of the tenets to true happiness and true 
balance in life. Uh, it's something that I learned at a young age from both of my parents, my mom being a former you know, arts uh, school teacher um, and my dad being in music as well and philanthropy being a huge part of their life. And then growing up in this business with David Foster, who was, of course, introducing me to charity events. Every time I was singing, it was almost always when he was giving himself to some uh, some sort of philanthropy. And so seeing, you know, ha- having that be my first stages, uh, charity stages, um, really taught me very, very early on that, that that should be a huge part of of my career and of my life. And, um, and I think it played a big role in what you just said of, of getting out of my head. Well, and you made that a really big part of your life and, and you've helped so many other people. So I do want to talk about Find Your Light Foundation. Um, you and I have worked together many times in, um, with my day job at the Charity Network, mm-hmm. raising money for Find Your Light. Um, and I know that Find Your Light, is, it's, about, it's about arts education, but it's about support and education and outreach and advocacy. And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about like what was your impetus to start it and what you're most proud of. Sure. Well, first of all, we're very grateful for your help. So thank you so much for for being such a supporter of ours and for for everything you've done. Um, we, you know, I when I first started having a platform in this business and realized that I could lend my voice um, to to causes, uh, it was a kid in a candy store situation. I was so happy to be asked by so many worthy causes to to help, and I and I always wanted to. And so my fans, when I started to get fans, kind of knew from album one that that was something I liked to do. Um, taking on the responsibility of having your own foundation is its own animal. It is a lot. It's a huge responsibility. And for a good portion of my career, I felt that my best silver bullet, the best way for me to be lean and mean in the philanthropy world was, was just to be able to simply lend myself Mm -hmm. to organizations that needed me so I could help them raise as much money as possible. Um, at some point on that fateful night, I was playing the Greek theater in Los Angeles. And I think 2004, 2005, my fans who knew I loved philanthropy came to the front of the stage with a giant jumbo check and they said, Josh, you know, it's always a risk when you give the microphone <laughs> to the front row. <laughs> but um, but they said, Josh, they said to all 8,000 people who were there, we've collected autographs, we've been raising money for years, and we've collected, I think it was something like $65,000. And they said, we're giving you this check and we want you at some point with it to start your own foundation and you can decide when you want to do that. And I was just floored. It was so hard to get through the rest of the show just because I was so... I was just so emotionally floored by by that generosity, and um, and so to know that, that that I have a fan base that would be there with me to be to be a part of that with me um, was a huge one. And so it started slow. It, I made it the Josh Groban Foundation, uh, and we raised money and gave a little bit to a lot of places. It wasn't until a group called Americans for the Arts, wonderful organization that is uh, helping to secure you know, funding both on a government level for for the arts jobs in the arts, both on stage and behind the scenes, uh, and also um, you know to to make sure that those artists and people within the arts world continue to be funded. Um, they asked me, along with uh, Linda Ronstadt and Wynton Marsalis, to testify to Congress on Arts Day on the Hill. Now, Arts Day on the Hill is a little bit of a you know, it's a little bit of a dog and pony show because if anybody, as you know, works in government, they have their rubber stamp of what they know they're going to do. And it's nice. You get to take your pictures. But I realized in speaking on the Hill about the arts and what arts education did for me in my life, that that was something that I knew so well from my own personal experience that I made a decision in that moment that even though I would continue to give my time and money to all different organizations, 
that my organization would be something that A, I knew a lot about because of my personal experience, and B, a little bit would go a long way. That I knew that when it came to instruments, teacher salaries, repainting that art room, get get paintbrushes into the hands of kids, making sure that after school programs stay alive, um, especially in inner cities, we could do a lot with a little. And that was a fun prospect. I also hadn't died, so I didn't want to call it the Josh Groban Foundation because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't you know, I, I that that not to be morbid, but also I didn't want the foundation to be reliant on whether or not I was on the top of the charts or not. You know, I wanted it to be the kind of thing that could live and breathe on its own. And so it became the Find Your Life Foundation. And it really is about making sure that young artists around the world get the opportunity to express themselves, to learn about the tools that the arts can give them in a curriculum. Um, that give them those leadership skills, self-confidence, expression, um, empathy, and learn about themselves and learn about the, the world through the arts. We're not a talent search. When we find great talent, it's a wonderful bonus, but we're more about how the arts can, can benefit these young kids uh, from a foundation level to, to make them just better, more well-rounded human beings. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I have just such enormous respect for the foundation, but also for the way you have been so strategic in putting it together. And, um, you know, there's such a solid foundation to the foundation, yeah. uh, you know, and, and not everybody does that and, and has that ability. And, and, and because of that, it's such a respected, um, organization that does so much good. And you've, you've got, you know, th- that strong base of strategy, and then you've got these amazing tactics and you do reach so many people and you help so many kids. Um, arts is so important. It's so, it's so important. And, and that's part of it has been re- getting rid of the stigma of arts as like a luxury or an extracurricular. And, um, you know, steam versus STEM, right? That's it. Yeah. Making sure that a is in there. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's wonderful when the math is on your side, because we're also, you know, venturing forth into the arts education world at a time when the data is proving, you know, in in a non-frou-frou way that, you know, the inclusion of the arts in schools helps with graduation rates, helps with, uh, increased knowledge and other, academic, you know, areas, um, helps with home life, um, you know, high school graduation, sometimes for the first time in their families, college graduation for the first time in their families. Um, it, it is a, it's a, you know, protecting our future issue as well as it is a feel good issue. And so it's, it's, it's fun to have that, but, um, but thankfully because of friends like you and other people who get it, I'm, I'm a terrible asker. I'm really bad. I'm very shy (laughs) at picking up the phone and saying, Hey, will you do something? It's the worst part of, 
my job, you know, is, is having to ask favors or asking. I'm very, very shy about that. But then I, I think every time I pick up the phone that I'm not asking for me, you know, I'm asking mm-hmm. for that kid in the South side of Chicago. I'm asking, you know, for that teacher, I'm asking for that, for, for that instrumentalist who doesn't know they have a passion, you know, so it's, it makes it easier for the asks. And, and luckily I've had a lot of friends that have said yes. Um, you also, as you've been saying, you support so many other charities over the years and so many causes. Um, and I just wondered, you know, cause you're so strategic with your foundation. Are you that same way? Are you strategic when you decide which other charities you're going to support? Um, are there other ones, are there other specific causes that are near and dear to your heart or do you kind of just say yes to friends or how do you, how do you decide? No, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's always the challenge because there are, there are just endless amazing causes that are all mm-hmm. doing valiant and, and important work. And we're all in that regard, we're all on the same highway trying to get to the same location, which is to enlighten and, and make a better future for, for people, whether it's in healthcare, whether it's in arts, whether it's in, you know, um, shelter, food, medicine, um, we're all trying to, we all have a passion to reach a goal of doing better for people. And so when I'm asked to do something, really the only thing that will, that will make it a, a no, or at least a not right now is, is simply if it's a scheduling thing or a bandwidth thing, because you also want to give your all to, to something and to someone. And so, um, you, you can, there can be a situation where you really want to dive headfirst into something and be asked to do something, but no, it's at a time when you've been stretched so, so thin that you wouldn't give that particular organization at that exact moment or that gala, everything that you have that you want to give. And so um, I try to, if it's a no, it's, it's, it's usually a not right now. And at some point I'll get back to it. Um, and I also like to support my fellow arts education organizations because mm-hmm. we all, we all help each other. You know, I've been very grateful for the teamwork with groups like Americans for the Arts, Young Arts, um, Turnaround Arts, which, which was Michelle Obama's initiative that has done extraordinary work to um, to quite literally turn around some of the um, you know one of some of the most down and out schools in America that were facing huge problems, behavioral problems, uh, structural problems, I mean yeah. everything, and using the arts and the infusion of the arts to turn around the entire morale of the program and to turn around these kids. I've been um, honored to be a uh, a mentor at, at um, Chalmers School of Excellence in the South Side of Chicago. And done that, so we all we all tag team with each other, and it's you realize that in 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 philanthropy, unlike in you know fighting for chart position in the music business, there really isn't a lot of communication uh, competition, a lot of communication, not a lot of competition. Mm-hmm. You're you're all helping each other, and um, you can't go wrong when you do. Well, that collaborative spirit, I think you're absolutely right, and I think people in the arts organizations who feel like there's competition for the dollars. I feel like that's, you know, that's the wrong way to think about it. I think it is about collaboration and that kind of leads me to um, theater because that is one of the most collaborative, you know, things that we, that you have been part of. And yeah. um, so I have to talk about Natasha and Pierre. Of course, sure. comment. Um, what did that show mean to you? I know what it meant to me. I loved it. Um, uh, well, <laughs> what did it mean to you? I mean, where do I begin? It, it, it was, um, you know, when you're the kid in your in your bedroom dreaming of doing Broadway one day, you 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 know you know most most times your your greatest dream, you know you gotta you gotta settle, <laughs> you know you gotta say to yourself, well it was almost that that or it wasn't quite what I expected, but still good. Um, to be a part of a show 
that had such a forward thinking, innovative, inclusive team and cast that was that was as was challenging for me as a musician, as a singer, as an actor. Um, and then also, you know, brought Broadway, I think, further along by its inventiveness and and uh, and 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 then to to feel like the show was recognized in such a wonderful way. And then on top of that, the friendships, the first Find Your Light gala that I did ever was while I was on Broadway and to look out on, you know, city winery, you know, it was a small, we had a small kind of gathering and to see my whole cast there and mm. to see, you know, the support, uh, because you mentioned the parallels between theater and philanthropy and quite literally they were happening at the same time for me while I was in Natasha Pierre. Um, we even auctioned off at the foundation gala. Um, Hey, you can be in Natasha Pierre and the great comet, you know, for, if you auction, We'll put you in the show, which was something no, nobody had ever done before. And I asked our producers, "Can I? Can I do this legally? Can we get away with this?" They said, "Yeah, we'll figure out a way." So somebody auctioned, they gave a huge amount of money to the kids, and we dressed them up in a in a costume. And during one of the big party dance scenes, they got to dance across the stage with the cast, and nobody in the audience knew. But for them, it was you know. So you know, they're they're the the way that we have felt being a, a cog in a beautiful wheel in the philanthropic world. Um, mm -hmm. is the same way that I felt that camaraderie in the theater world, that we all have each other's back. We were splitting wall space with Hamilton on one side, Dear Evan Hansen mm -hmm. on the other, and we would run into each other every night. And it was this feeling of, how was your show? How was yours? We got to come see it. Let's hang out. Let's get a drink. Let's... And, you know, again, and before Sarah and I hosted the Tonys, and I was kind of asking some previous hosts and kind of talking about, you know, the Tonys and do I really want to do is, this? <laughs> well, just, is it, you know, oftentimes, I mean, my answer to Glenn and to everybody else was of course, yes, but you also know that sometimes a host position, you got to be a little bit of a glutton for punishment. And so, um, I wanted to ask some advice and, and, uh, you know, the overriding feeling that I got from previous hosts about the Tonys and it relates to this conversation is that everybody in that audience supports each other and has wanted this since they were a kid. There isn't a lot of accidentally falling up in, in the theatrical world. It's hard work, it's blood, sweat, and tears, it's community, it's selflessness. And unlike some of the other award shows where a lot of people got that break, they've got the 50 people around them telling them they're incredible, that everybody's entourages are bumping into each other but not really interacting. There is a loneliness to the music business that I've experienced full on. And then when I go to a place like the Grammys, it's it's 15,000 lonely people. Mm -hmm. And um, and in theater, there is a family and you're all rooting for each other. We're given the standing ovation for whoever wins. And uh, and so to have that theater experience alongside the philanthropy experience was just that childhood dream just could not have been any better. And when it comes to childhood dreams, I want to talk about Freestyle Love Supreme. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we're actually recording this podcast with them next week. Um, right. So Chris Jackson has – his name is C-Jack, and Lynn is Lynn Man. Um, Anthony is Two-Tone, and Chris is Shockwave. So I wondered, first of all, what is your FLS name going to be, <laughs> and how did that come to be? <laughs> Oh man, um, I would say it's probably a toss-up between Jay Grow and uh, you know Sarah Silverman calls me Grobes, so maybe <laughs> Grobes, maybe with a Z at the end. Um, but uh, I, I, you know, loved being on that show. They invited me back when we were all still in New York and doing shows, and 
Um, and I forgot who it was. I think it was Tommy Kale said, Hey, well, cause I went to the premiere, you know, the opening night of, of that show. And I saw it. you was, there. Was that, yeah, I saw you there, of course, <laughs> yeah. and was talking to them and they said, Hey, if you ever want to come on and do it. Now I took improv classes when I was younger, but that kind of thing absolutely terrifies me because it's, that is such a sport. Those are the LeBron James mm-hmm. and Tiger Woods and Lan, you know, <laughs> Lance Armstrong, except they're not cheating. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, th- their mental capacity, their muscle to do that is something that I've always been in awe of. But in the spirit of wanting to scare myself, I said, "Okay, yes, I'll do it." And it was the most fun night. I had the most. It's like improvising on that level with those kinds of people um, is like walking on air. It's the coolest feeling in the world. And when you get the audience on your side. So I had a blast and, uh, and I was very grateful to be, be a part of their world for a minute. Talking about New York, um, you were on Watch What Happens Live and you said to Andy um, that you wanted to be in a Sondheim musical. And just following up on our conversation about theater, what are your, I mean, and we know you've, you know, your starring role in Fiddler on the Roof when you were how old? 16, 17? <laughs> yes, yeah, 17, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I just wondered if there were other roles that you've kind of like, oh yeah, I really want to do that. Well, the thing I loved about Sondheim's work, even from a young age, was just um, how smart it was, how beautiful the melodies were that just touched my soul. And also just how how little dancing was required <laughs> I, I, as a as a as a double threat, not a not a triple threat. Uh, luckily, in Great Comet, I had to I didn't have to pretend to be a really clumsy dancer. That was something that that came naturally both to Pierre and to and to me. Um, you know, I, I've loved telling Sondheim stories in his songs. I mean, I'm, for those of us that got the bug early on, you know, I grew up listening to, um, you know, to assassins and, and, uh, you know, Sweeney Todd and Sunday in the park with George. And, you know, these were, um, these were scores that just, that just resonated and always have, um, I felt the same way about growing up listening to Phantom of the Opera and Andrew Lloyd Webber and, and you know, Les Mis. And, you know, they were the shows that that just kind of captured my imagination at a young age. And so you always think about those full circle moments as you're an adult and you say to yourself, okay, well, I actually am in a position where I can make a call and see what might be possible. Um, my favorite moment in Great Comet probably was getting a letter at stage door from, from Sondheim and mm, welcoming, wow. me to, welcoming me to Broadway and being able to see him in the audience because he promised me he wouldn't tell me when he was coming, which is very self-aware of him to know <laughs> what that does to a cat, you know? <laughs> right. um, and the only reason I wound up actually knowing was because, of course, somebody, it's such an immersive show that somebody in the cast, of course, saw him, and gave a red alert at intermission, screaming at the top of their lungs. And I'm thinking, thank God oh I finished. I think it's thank God I finished <laughs> my hardest song before I knew that. Um, but you know, getting to know him and, and feeling his, um, support after so many years of, of, um, of just loving his work was, was a really, has been a really cool thing. So, you know, we'll see, I was spoiled by great comment to bring a new piece to Broadway, you know, Mm -hmm. something, you know, at least new to Broadway, um, was, was a great opportunity and responsibility. That was something I'd love to do again. I'd love to be able to lend my name to something that, um, is a little bit off the beaten path and and deserves a second look and deserves to to have some 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 attention. But at the same time, if if I were to do a revival, I think something Sondheim would be just something would be a blast for me. No jukebox musicals. No jukebox musical for you, right? 
Uh, you know, you know, Andy pushed me into <laughs> into answering what I don't like, and right. and as a as a theater lover on mass and yeah. former Tony host, I, I I have to say that I I all I have an appreciation for jukebox musicals, especially the extraordinary performers that are in them, because those are oftentimes sometimes the hardest shows to perform. Hmm. You know, I know Andy was was pooping on uh, Rock of Ages, but uh, I I know people who were in that show and they were giving some of the most challenging performances of anybody on Broadway night after night. And those songs are, of course, they're awesome. They're fun. They're entertaining. Mm -hmm. Those are fun shows. Um, and uh, it's just not the kind of show that I would go back to, broad to Broadway doing. Um, so I've asked a lot of my guests the same question uh, lately. And I, I, um, I think it's a really important question right now. Um, and I'd love to hear what you think. If you could wave a magic wand... What changes would you want to see um, on Broadway when it reopens? Well, um, that's a big question and something that I know we all are dwelling on and thinking about as we've had this time away to reflect and to just miss it more than we ever could have possibly imagined. We thought we had a ceiling for how much we loved it, how much we appreciated it, but I think there's a whole new level of gratitude, um, not only for those of us that um, just miss being up there. But I think a huge amount of national and global gratitude for what theater gives us in our community, what, what it actually does beyond just spending two hours and taking a cab back to your hotel and, you know, humming the tunes, what, what an infusion into how important it is into our humanity, into our cultural landscape. We are better people because we have the arts, because we have the impact of, of theater and all the incredible people who work in it. So I, I hope that when, when it comes back and when there is a renaissance of creativity and love and support, that there is just um, a celebration and a continued with no amnesia appreciation for the men and women that provide that for us and, uh, and give New York and beyond this incredible cultural gift. I also hope that um, the continuing important discussion about um, inclusivity and equality uh, uh, in the behind the scenes, in casting decisions, um, continues to be at the forefront of how we change um, the mentality and the power dynamics uh, in, on Broadway. I think it's a, a conversation that's been raised by a number of different people. Um, I was very proud to be in a show that was among the most diverse ever. Uh, and I think that that needs to continue. And I think that that conversation needs to continue. And I think that um, it will only make Broadway even more vibrant, more, more um, powerful. And, uh, and I look forward to, to being part of it. You know, it's, uh, it's something that is going to be an amazing and emotional feeling to, uh, to welcome audiences because, you know, those seats are close, you know, <laughs> and, you know, if, 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 if there was ever a, a situation where, the closeness, the intimacy, and what we love about sharing the air of a magic theatrical space. That's why we love it is because we are all sharing the molecules of what we're creating in that world. When you have a pandemic, that is not a space people can enjoy. And so, uh, you know, I can't, I can't wait until we can all share our molecules again. I couldn't have said it better. Thank you so much for sharing your molecules here with us today. <laughs> I'm beaming for... my virtual molecules to <laughs> you, you, Jan and you. Glenn and, and everybody. Thank you for the amazing work you do. 
uh, and for allowing me to be a partner in that work and, um, and for the great chat. Uh, it was a great chat and I look forward to the next steps on, uh, on Find Your Light and how we can do some more good together. Thank you. Me too. Sending you a high five. Right back at you. Thanks, Jan. Thanks for listening to this episode of Broadway Gives Back. Broadway Gives Back is part of the Broadway Podcast Network, produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals with Brittany Bigelow and music by Eric Becker at Broderick Street Music. Special thanks to my producing partner, writer, and friend, Jim Lochner, and to Katie and Yo at BPM, Julian Hills from the Bulldog Agency, the Charity Network, and to my fiance, Glenn Weiss, who is always my consultant. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also follow Broadway Gives Back on Facebook and Instagram at Broadway Gives Back Podcast and on Twitter at Broadway Gives. To learn more, visit bpn.fm slash Broadway Gives Back. wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.